This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, September 29, 2010. I'm Caleb Brown. The business environment in the developing world offers unique challenges. Some of those challenges are posed by the very groups that claim to champion those struggling societies. Anne Bernstein heads the Center for Development and Enterprise in South Africa. She is author of the new book, The Case for Business in Developing Economies. We spoke following a forum for the book yesterday. People who live in rich industrialized countries take for granted that courts work, that parliaments work, that there are certain rules of what you can and can't do, and that citizens vote at regular elections and have the confidence and the opportunity to organize and promote their own interests between elections. In many developing countries, the state is weak and Some of those institutions are either new or don't work very well or a range of other things that people in rich countries just take for granted don't happen, Um, whether it's um, the potholes in the street being fixed or the electricity working uh, or the court system working in an efficient way. So a whole lot of these things And some of the more important issues, like what are the rules of the game in terms of foreign investment, are not sorted out. So these are societies in the making, often, which makes the admonition that business should just follow the laws of the land a bit more complicated when the laws of the land are in process of being formulated or debated hotly or don't yet exist. I hope I'm not misunderstanding uh, the discussion that you and uh, Clive Crook had about uh, NGOs that are uh, working in in developing countries. It seemed that it was almost taken for granted that a lot of these groups have very little understanding of the -the on-the-ground realities uh, facing people in poverty in these countries. Is that that fair to say? And if so, why is that the case? No, let me clarify what I am saying. I'm saying that there are many international NGOs, which generally means they're headquartered in Washington or London or Brussels or Geneva, and consist predominantly of people who live in those rich countries, have very strong views on development and how it should take place in poorer countries. It's those NGOs that I am saying in many instances do not appreciate the realities of poverty in developing countries or sometimes are more influenced by protectionist ideas or associated with unions in rich countries and that some of their recommendations are then have a protectionist effect in developing countries. I am absolutely in favour of people in countries being able to organise to promote their views and interests and shouting the odds. But when people sit in very rich countries, in formal houses with hot and cold running water, and say that companies shouldn't invest in this or that country or should only do so under certain conditions and in conformity with global standards, I think the impact of that is negative on development in poorer countries and is protectionist in effect. You talked a little bit about sweatshops, which I thought, you know, this is a subject that a lot of people uh, who are in business don't like to talk about. But uh, you had 
not terrible things to say about sweatshops, about the fact that many people in them are actually requesting additional work uh, there and to some extent can accumulate savings. Is that true? Well, so-called sweatshops, which tend to be factories with very minimal conditions of health and safety often and with low wages for generally pretty unskilled jobs. These, these factories have had a bad press and many of the activists have attacked companies for using them to produce their goods. If you go into the evidence, in very many countries in Asia, people working in these so-called sweatshops are the people getting the best jobs in town. They're the 1% to 5% of the labor force getting best paid, formal work. This does not mean they're great jobs by your or my standard, but compare them to the alternatives. Very often the alternatives are much, much worse. What people get in these low-wage factories is a first step on the ladder of opportunity into a formal job with all the benefits that allows. And what tends to happen is that a disproportionate number of people are women, often coming from the rural areas, and this is their first job. They tend to work very hard. You get A-type personalities among poor people as well as professionals or students. And they spend something like seven years or so in these hard jobs. They're independent for the first time in their lives. They're earning money. And many of them save their money and use it when they leave the factory to start a small enterprise, to service workers at the factory, or they go back to the rural area. But now they're no longer at the, the beck and call of their husband or their father. They have their own resources and experience. They can start their own business or do whatever they want. So it turns out that these maligned sweatshops very often are the best opportunity there is for unskilled people with inexperienced young to get a job. And certainly my country, South Africa, could do with a lot of those kinds of work opportunities. We have something like 38% of the labor force unemployed, something like 50% of 18 to 34-year-olds are unemployed. And imagine if you're unemployed to the age of 34, you've never had a job, you're never going to get a job. Um, so I think being unemployed is a lot worse than working in what you or I would find not great conditions but that's the first rank of opportunity into the modern world. Milton Friedman famously said that the social responsibility of business is to earn profits, and you appear to put a little asterisk by that statement uh, when it relates to the developing world. I think the first responsibility of companies is to earn profits and be successful, decent companies. And that modern business, just by doing business, has an enormous positive impact in direct and indirect ways that companies should get a lot better at communicating than they do. I'm not saying that the business of business is only business. I think that, especially in developing countries, that's, life is more complicated and that companies need to 
get a license to operate often in the local community, which is unbelievably poor, and in the local region or country. So I think there, there are nuances about how to think about what companies should do in their own interests in order to be effective citizens. When you talk about businesses talking about the good that they are actually doing for society merely by engaging in what they want to engage in that is a profitable enterprise, you also talked about some of the less tangible factors uh, that uh, a vibrant private sector actually can bring to a lot of countries. Now, that's not something businesses individually can crow about because it's it's hard to uh, tie cause and effect in, in that case. What are some of those less tangible factors? Well, they can crow about some of those things if they put their minds to it. Um, the, there's some that I really like. The, the one is a statement by an Indian entrepreneur, Nandan Nilakani, who was then CEO of one of those great pioneering IT companies coming out of Bangalore. He was asked what his greatest achievement is, and he said, well, I and my colleagues have created this multi-billion dollar company out of nothing, but our greatest achievement is that we have redefined the possible for India. And I think that's a very telling statement. Some South African companies have gone global and been very successfully successful globally, and they've in effect been ambassadors for the continent, that we can be global competitors, not because they intend to be, but just because of who they are, they play that role. Um, if you think of Toyota, their introduction of just-in-time and productivity methods revolutionized productivity frontiers for the whole world. So I think companies should know about their indirect impacts. They're empowering women often, or groups or tribes or classes who've been left out, not because they intend to, but because that's an inadvertent impact of what they do. And they should know a lot more about this. You, you, I don't think it's crowing. I think you can do research on this. You can get university research independent observers to look at this and see if it's true. But one should claim this more than than companies are even aware of. Anne Bernstein heads the Center for Development and Enterprise in South Africa. She is author of the new book, The Case for Business in Developing Economies. You can watch the forum at cato.org.